I'm going to start this morning. I'm going to make just a brief statement, and then I'm going to ask a question. The brief statement is this. God is on His throne. I'll repeat that. God is on His throne. The question is, do you believe that? As Christians, do you believe God is on His throne? follow-up question could be, do we live like we believe it? Because sometimes... I'm afraid that maybe we don't, and that, that people that we're around, if we were to tell them God is on His throne, and we believe, I believe that, some people might look at us and say, are you sure? Your face doesn't look like you believe it. The way you live your life doesn't act like, you don't always act like you believe that God is on His throne, because sometimes we can, we can find ourselves where we're just <laughs> at our wit's end, and we don't know what, which way to turn. We, we always really do know which way to turn, though. Oh, we turn our face to the Lord. Current events would lead us, uh, if we looked around us, to the conclusion sometimes that the throne of the universe is empty. Or it could lead some people to that conclusion, couldn't it? Or that uh, that throne has been taken away from God. If we look at just the things that are going on around us, people might begin to think that violence is that, uh, it may not be in an all-time high, but it's very high now in our society, isn't it? Crime. Uh, is unbelievably high. And you hear it every time you look at the news. You never see, rarely do you ever hear about any good news now. Every time I open my phone, there's some new news blurb that tells me about some of the most ridiculous things I would never have even thought that criminals would do. And it's all around us. And it goes unpunished. We hear about, oftentimes, hear about people that they end up being accused of something that and and convicted of it on circumstantial evidence, and they pay a fine or they end up in prison, maybe they were innocent. And then we hear about heinous criminals, murderers, rapists, people who should never be turned loose in society again. And maybe they get convicted and they sent to prison. Maybe they just get a slap on the wrist. And most recently we hear about them being turned loose because, well, the prisons are overcrowded. Or... Well, um, the most ridiculous thing I heard was just a few years ago. You all heard it too. Well, if they stay in a crowded prison, they might catch COVID. All the rest of us were catching COVID, weren't we? And, and, and does that make any sense at all? But people looking that don't understand might say, "Well, there, there's no. There may have been a throne of the universe at one time, and there may have been a God on it, but He's not there now. He's gone." That's not true. We know that's not true. Liars prosper, while the people who tell the truth suffer. In our, in our culture, don't they? It seems like evil is what's ruling God's creation sometimes, doesn't it? And so there's common questions, and we hear them. We've all heard them. Where is God? What is He doing? If there is a God, what's He doing now? Why has He let these things happen to us? Where, uh, why should I believe Him? And those questions come up. The answer is, God is on His throne. And we need to make sure people understand that we believe that. And we need to have the answers that we can give to them when they ask, well, what's your evidence that he's on the throne? Well, today I want us to take a look at four different people in Scripture and their perspective on whether God was on his throne or not. The first we're going to look at is in Revelation chapter 19, if you want to turn there. Revelation 19. We know the book of Revelation... Uh, that it was written by the Apostle John. We know that the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision and, and gave him things to record in the Scriptures. And we're going to read some of that here 
in Revelation 19. We're going to look in verse 5. I want to read a couple of verses here. It says, And a voice came out of the throne. This is the throne of God. A voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I love that verse, don't you? I've got a musical note written, just sketched in my Bible beside of that, because one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever composed calls on these words. George Handel and his uh, Messiah. This is the Hallelujah Chorus. Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. No matter what happens, we know that God is on His throne. And as we look at this, these verses, we know what was going on in John's life when he wrote these, don't we? He'd been, uh, he was not living uh, a life of ease. The, the book of Revelation, when I, was, when I was looking over this message last night, I was sitting in a very comfortable desk chair in a, in a nice uh, study area. I've got a nice desk. There's carpet on the floor. The air conditioning was running for all it was worth to keep that room cool. But I'll tell you what, when John penned these words, they were not written in a comfortable study, were they? You remember where John was? He had been exiled as a Roman prisoner to the island of Patmos. Patmos, it was an island, still is, it's a rocky, barren piece of real estate out in the Aegean Sea. There weren't any comforts there. John wasn't comfortable when he wrote these words. John, uh, the, the emperor Domitian had exiled him uh, as, a, as a political prisoner, I guess we would say, as a religious prisoner. And he was an old and faithful servant of Jesus Christ. John, at this point, was in his 90s. He'd been preaching the gospel for longer than I've been alive on this earth at that point. He's the disciple that um, is referred to in Scripture as the one that Jesus loved. He had a very close relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he had maintained that, and he had preached for all those decades. And now, because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel, the Roman emperor had exiled him to Patmos. And so he, he might have had every reason to have been a little down at that point, don't you think? He was surrounded by the waters of the Aegean Sea. He was, he was separated from all the people that he loved, that, getting tongue-tied again, that he loved, uh, his supporters, the church members that had been uh, part of their churches, the people that he wanted to teach, he was separated from them. And it would have been very easy for him to have asked the question, where is God? I've, I've tried to serve the Lord. Where is He now? Why has He left me? And I'm going to tell you what, when he penned the words of Revelation, it didn't focus on him and his trials, did it? What did it focus on? It focused on Jesus and His triumphs. That's what this book is about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It, it, he didn't uh, pen this book and put a title on it and call it the tribulation of the Apostle John. Did he? he could have, I suppose. He could have said, woe is me, I'm on this island, it's barren. There's nothing here but some mines and I'm expected to work in my 90s to produce something for a, uh, an emperor who hates me and hates the Lord that I represent. He could have written that, couldn't he? But that's not what he wrote. Not the tribulations of the Apostle John, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what he wrote. That's the words that he penned for us. And he wrote it in the language of faith. 
He could, I'll repeat, he could have said, woe is me because Emperor Domitian is on the throne of Rome. That's not what he wrote, is it? He wrote, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That's the, the outlook that the Apostle John had. That's the outlook of faith, isn't it? And that's what we need to have. Because I'm going to tell you what, this world that we live in will drain the energy right out of us. And if it were possible, Satan would have this world drain our faith right out of us. Just pull the plug and let it drain right out. John says, you're not going to do that. The, uh, the emperor might exile me to this, this piece of rock, but I'm still going to have my faith because I know that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You see, Paul, uh, the, the apostle John here, he didn't see himself so much as a prisoner of the emperor of Rome. He saw himself as a bondservant of God, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he took, pre- he took pleasure in that. He took pride in that. That his Lord put him here because he had been faithful to him. And he said, I'll, I'll bear that. I'll bear that. Uh, that, uh, that bondage, as it were. He wasn't suffering. Not in his mind. Some people would look at him and say, look at that poor old Apostle John. He's over there. John's mind, he wasn't suffering. He was sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ. It's a big difference, isn't it? When the world tries to get us down, we can look at it, well, I'm suffering, I'm going through all of this, or we can say, I'm sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ. And if I get persecuted for that, so be it. Praise God. I will continue to serve Him no matter what. That's the approach that John took. And so no matter what came into his life, his perspective was, Hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That term, Hallelujah, it's... uh, it's a Greek term of the Hebrew term hallelujah, and it means praise ye, or we take it to mean praise the Lord. And it's such a it's such a beautiful word that nobody bothered to translate it into the Greek language. They just took the word over and kept it. No one tried to translate it into English. They just kept the word and its beauty. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That's the opinion that the Apostle John had. When the world was throwing everything it could at him, he said, yeah, it's not going to get me down. Isn't that amazing? None of us are 90-some years old and been thrown onto a barren rock somewhere. What would happen to us if, if, if the world threw that at us? Would we have that same kind of fortitude to say, yeah, I'm not suffering. This is where the Lord put me. And I'm going to glorify Him because I know He still reigns. He's still seated on His throne. I hope we would if we ever... I hope none of us ever find ourselves in that position, first of all. But I hope that if we do, that we can share His perspective. That's one perspective of about someone in the Scriptures when the world threw its worst at it. I want us to look now, if you would, at the Old Testament, Second Chronicles. We're going to look at King Jehoshaphat. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is a lengthy passage, but I'm going to read it because it speaks for itself better than I could ever just expound on it. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It says, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with the mother beside the Amorite, or Ammonites rather, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. Behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared 
and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He feared. He was afraid, yes. There was a big army coming at him. But what, what did that fear lead him to do? Look at it. He set himself to seek the Lord. It's a good approach, isn't it? Verse 4, And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. The whole country gathered together. That's what happens when you have a godly leader, isn't it? Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil come upon us as at the sword, or as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 16, Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. Ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord for His mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And there were three days in gathering of the spoil. 
It was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the same place was called the valley of Barakah unto this day. Then they returned to every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them, to go again to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Jehoshaphat was the seventh king of uh, Judah. Uh, That would make him, I believe it is, David's, King David's great, great, great grandson. He was a godly king, and he had served uh, for a good while. He was basically a a, a godly king. He had a few lapses of judgment, as many of us, most, I will go ahead and say all of us, do from time to time. But basically, he was a godly king. And at this point, we, we break into the history here. He found his nation under attack by the Moabites, the Ammonites, and people from Mount Seir. They were uh, coming against him. Uh, and while he was afraid, we saw that he didn't panic, did he? He just simply went to the Lord. He took the problem to God. And he said, uh, where, where the way the, the, the writer puts it, he set himself to seek the Lord. He determined, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, my knees may be knocking, but I serve a powerful God. And I'm going to take this problem to him. And then when Judah's enemies gathered for the kill, Jehoshaphat's reliance was uh, not on the fact that he reigned as the king of Judah. You know, oftentimes, if we look through history and we pay attention to the leaders, kings, emperors, princes, um, presidents perhaps, or prime ministers, uh, oftentimes they're puffed up and they say, I am important. No one can attack me because they know who I am. I think that Vladimir Putin would be one of those types of leaders in, in modern day. No one's going to attack our country because I'm its leader. And you don't mess with me. Well, that's not the approach Jehoshaphat took, was it? He knew good and well these people were going to mess with him. They knew he was the king of Judah. They knew that Judah had been a very powerful nation in the past, and yet they were still coming against him. So he wasn't puffed up because of who he was. He didn't say, they'll never defeat us. I'm leading this army. No, he didn't put his, his, uh, his faith on, or his reliance on the fact that he was the king of Judah. His reliance was on the fact, though, that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The God who had established them as a nation. The God who had protected them so much in the past. He said, he's the God who's going to deliver us this time. He's the one who can do it because he is the sovereign of all creation. He is not only uh, the sovereign God that we serve. He's the God who the Ammonites are accountable to and the Moabites and the people of Mount Seir and all of the other people around. Jehoshaphat had it right, didn't he? When things were coming at him that he could not control, and he led his people to do the very same thing. Verse 13 says, All Judah stood before the Lord. All of them. They had a godly leader. When you have a godly leader, it's not that difficult for the people that he leads or she leads to be godly either, is it? I don't remember the last time we had what I would consider a godly leader in this country or in this state for that matter. Because I don't think we have either right now. It's a sad it's a sad place to be in, isn't it? But these people enjoyed a godly king. 
who said, yes, we've got problems coming, but we've got a God who is far bigger than our problems, and He is still on His throne. These people may be coming trying to dethrone me, but they will never dethrone the God that we serve. And so we're going to go to Him. And I like what it says there in verse 13. Not only did all Judah come before the Lord, you could read that and say, well, all the men came and and they did this. It wasn't just the men. He said they had their little ones, their children, their young people. The people that we can't get to come into a church sometimes to save our lives, they came before God. And it says their wives came and their children. In other words, their very little ones. The ones who couldn't help but come because Mama brought them, right? All of them came before the Lord. Because all of them recognized how bad this danger was. This was an army. This was an enormous army that was coming against them. And the king has decided, we can't defeat this army. We don't have enough. We don't have enough weapons to do this. We don't have enough infantry. We don't have enough cavalry or whatever the they may have called their soldiers at that point. But God does. God can fix this. And so what did he do? He went to the Lord. Why? Again, he knew the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. When the world throws everything it can at us, we can have that same faith, can't we? Let's look at, a, at another example in Scripture of someone who has, and see what his opinion is on this. Isaiah, you're in the Old Testament. Just turn to the, go to the right just a bit till you get to Isaiah chapter 6. I may have told you before, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I can still actually, as a teenager... Or remember as a teenager the first time I heard someone preach on this passage it excited me what I saw here and it, it, it made a lasting impression Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 we read this in the year that King Uzziah died this is Isaiah speaking I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then verse 4, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Last night I was upstairs studying, and Robin sent me a text from downstairs. And she said, this thunder that makes the house shake really, really unnerves me a little bit. I don't know if you heard that kind of storm come through, but I felt it too. It just rumbles. This angelic being praising God with such a voice that it made the post of the house shake. Can you imagine hearing that? Isaiah heard it in his vision as he saw this. We start in verse um, 1 of chapter 6 with these words. King Uzziah had died. King Uzziah was also a godly king in Judah. And he had reigned for something like 52 years. Can you imagine that? Having a godly leader in a country for 50 or five decades, or a little over that, and then he dies. And you have no idea what's coming next. Someone's going to feel, you, know, you figure, assume it's going to be one of his sons. Let me just ask the question. I'll just go ahead and say it. What if a son of a sitting president in the United States were to take the helm? Would that worry you a little bit? We've heard about that son, haven't we? He's at least as bad, if not worse, than his father. Wouldn't that scare you? Well, Isaiah sees a godly king 
he's got reason to, to be downcast a little bit. I don't know what's coming left. But he saw a vision that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high, still seated on his throne with angelic beings circling that throne saying, holy, holy, holy. That's a beautiful vision to see, isn't it? Because when you're, when you're not sure what's coming next, you want that knowledge that God is still on His throne, don't you? Judah's throne might have been temporarily empty. God's throne wasn't. It never has been empty and it never will be. And we know that. Isaiah's vision said that Almighty God was still on His throne. Judah's vision, or the people of Judah, their vision might have been one of mourning. Oh no, we've lost a good king and we've seen his sons and they might not be so good. The angels, the seraphim, what was their vision? They were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Some tell us that that's a, very likely a reference to the Trinity. Three times holy. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are holy. We used to hear old preachers, used to hear them refer to God as a thrice holy God. You don't hear that term much, but it's true, isn't it? Holy, holy, holy. That's what uh, the seraphim saw. That's what Isaiah saw. Isaiah didn't sit around complaining because a godly king was gone, did he? He dedicated himself to serve the Lord. He had been serving him up to this point. Just because a godly king was gone didn't mean he was going to give up. He, can, he, he made his mind up, I'm going to continue to serve the Lord. How could he do that? Why could he do that? Because he knew the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. God's throne was not empty. So we've seen three perspectives now. We've seen the Apostle John's perspective. We've seen King Jehoshaphat's perspective. We've seen the prophet Isaiah's perspective. Now if you'll turn to the New Testament, Acts chapter 18, let's look at the the Apostle Paul's perspective. Acts chapter 18. Let's start reading verse 1. Paul had been ministering in, uh, in Greece, in the city of Athens. Now he's, he's moved at chapter 18. He's moved to a different uh, Greek city. He's, he's moved to Corinth now. Chapter 18, verse 1, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Roman emperors weren't very fond of Christians or Jews at that point where they apparently verse 3 and because he was of the same craft he abode with them and wrought for by their occupation they were tent makers and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed he shook his raiment and said unto them your blood be upon your own heads I am clean from henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. It's a very sad day in the, in the, the point in, in Paul's ministry when the Jews had so rejected the gospel that he said, from now on I'll, I'll minister to the Gentiles. You've turned your back on God's Word. You've turned your back. These are the people who had the Old Testament Scriptures, who knew the Messiah was coming, and they turned their back on the message of Him. Verse 7, And he departed thence, and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. 
So there's at least one Jew here, the chief ruler of the synagogue. He did put his faith in Christ, but many of the Corinthians did. Then, verse 9, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, saying, be not, be, be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul went to Corinth like he went to many other cities. He went there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went there to start a church. And he started as he did in, in many places. He went with the synagogue. He went to the Jewish people because they had the Word of God. They had the starting point. They had all the knowledge they needed. All they needed to know was the Messiah you've been looking for, He came. He has come and He's died for you. He has made a provision for your salvation. And they turned away from it. And we're told that many of the, of the Corinthian Jews, many of the others in Corinth, they, they opposed His ministry. We know from history that Corinth was a very sinful city. It was a, it was a very prosperous merchant city. And so there were a lot of people from all around the world who were coming there, bringing their, their freight through this little place, this little city of Corinth. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of money to be made there because it was a big marketing city. And as we know, people who have a lot of money can afford all kinds of sinful indulgences, can't they? And Corinth as a town was more than happy to provide them uh, the, the sinful indulgences that they were willing to pay for. So sin abounded there. Uh, Satan's influence, we can imagine, could have been overwhelming, even to the Apostle Paul, even to Paul or to uh, uh, Silas and Timothy when they came, and the Christians who were working there. Paul could very easily, I would think, have felt like quitting, but the Lord Jesus appeared to him. And what did he say? Be not afraid, but speak. I've given you a message. Share that message. And he said, And hold not thy peace. Why? For I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. He said, I'm still sitting on my throne, Paul. I've got people in this city who will support you. I've got people who will be saved if you'll take the gospel message to them. Don't be afraid of them, Paul. You just go tell, you just go tell them what I put on your or heart. And what do we find out about Paul? We find out that he stayed in Corinth almost a year and a half ministering there in this sinful city in a place where people were opposing themselves and blaspheming when he first got there and he had a, a vibrant ministry and he was able to establish a church there. Why was he able to do that? Because he knew the truth that we've been talking about. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And he saw that. He recognized the truth and the power I think of, of Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 18 when Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul knew that. And so he was willing to stay in a sinful city like this. We've got four perspectives of people in the Scripture that had things thrown at them that they didn't have any control over. And yet they were, continue, they were able to continue to go on because they knew that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That's why I started with that message, with that statement this morning. God is on His throne. He is still on His throne, isn't He? No matter what the world throws at us, He has not abdicated His throne. He hasn't turned things over to the enemy. And He doesn't intend to, does He? He's never going to come off that throne because He is the God of all creation. He is the, the God of all the universe. And that throne, He is going to continue to, to inhabit. Evil may abound, but God's purposes will always be fulfilled, won't they? Because... The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We can trust everything in our lives to Him, can't we? We can trust our families to the Lord, can't we? 
we can trust our, uh, our lives. We can trust our relationships to the Lord. We can trust our health to Him, can't we? He may, he may send a sickness to us. He may send a disease to us. But we can trust Him with that. Uh, no matter what. We can trust jobs, finances. We can trust whatever possessions we have to Him. Things may rust. Things may break. But we can still trust the Lord for those things, can't we? Because He's always made provision for us. Is there anyone here who can say the Lord has not made provision for us? Day after day after day, whatever the world throws at us, whatever Satan might throw at us, everything we have we can trust to Him. And we can meet whatever discouragements come with that same confidence that each of these people did, knowing that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We can know that, can't we? That's the secret of peace and joy in our lives, in the lives of Christians everywhere. That the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We cannot successfully um, rule our own lives because we have weaknesses, don't we? We have sin in our lives, don't we? We have frailties. We have enough ignorance in our lives, things we don't even know that can keep us from able to, being able to successfully lead our lives. We can't trust other people to successfully lead our, lead our lives, can we? Because they have the same weaknesses we do. They have the same ignorance we do. They have the same sin in their lives that we do. But we can depend on the Lord, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, to lead our lives, can't we? If we trust Him. If He's on the throne of our lives, we can face everything the world throws at us with courage, can't we? And with confidence. Because we can say, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. If He's not reigning in our lives, we know that He's sitting on the throne of the universe. We need Him to sit on the throne of our lives as well. Because if He's not doing that, try as we might, we will not be able to worship Him the way we ought to. We can come in, we can go through the, the motions, we can sing the songs, we can pray, but we won't be worshiping God the way we should if He's not sitting on the throne of our lives, will we? If He's not sitting on the throne of our lives, our attention is going to be captured by all that evil I talked about earlier, the, the, the crime around us, and, and the things are just not going right, and the fact that liars prosper cheaters prosper, as you might say when we were kids. We focus on all of that, but if Jesus is on the throne of our lives, we don't focus on that stuff, do we? As the song says, all of those things of the world become strangely dim if we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. If He's sitting on the throne of our lives, if He's not sitting on that throne, we lack the strength and the vigor that we need to live a Christian life, and our witness will suffer on it. We won't, have the, we won't be nearly the witnesses we ought to be unless Jesus is sitting on the throne of our lives. So we need to invite Him to do that. We need to make sure that we've yielded ourselves to Him, don't we? Satan wants us, by the way, to believe that our cause is lost. That the world is just a mess and it's never going to get any better. He wants us to believe that we are failures. We're not failures in Christ, are we? We're more than conquerors through Christ. That's what the Scripture tells us. And we need the world around us to know that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And we need the world around us to know that we believe that. And that's what we're standing on every day. If you know that, if you know that this morning and you really believe that, I would encourage you, make sure someone else knows that this week. Somebody you come in contact with this week, make sure they know that you believe the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And He's always going to reign. And He's always going to meet our needs and their needs. Because that's important, isn't it? But I'm going to say this. 
if there's anybody here this morning if you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that truth still is there. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. Don't let that message slip away. If you've never trusted Christ, God is still on His throne. And that means that God still demands punishment for sin because He is still on His throne. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you still owe a sin debt that you could never pay by yourself. Someone else had to pay that debt, and someone did pay that debt. Someone who's never trusted Christ needs to remember, though, this. It's not the magnitude of our sin that's the main problem. It's the holiness of the God that we sinned against. That's the problem. Because we've sinned, uh, all of us, against a God who is described as holy, holy, holy. And even the minutest of sins, when committed against such a holy God, condemns us to an eternity of separation from God without the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, the, the same God who is seated on, sitting on that throne and will always sit on that throne, the God who is described as holy, holy, holy is the same God who says, if you come to me, I'll never cast you out. And so if you're here this morning, if you never trusted Christ, this is the day. Don't let this message go by today. Trust Him before it's everlastingly too late. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Word that we've looked at this morning. Thank You for the knowledge uh, that uh, the, the uh, Apostle John shared with us in the, in the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We thank You for that news, Lord. We thank You for that message. We thank You for that truth that You are seated firmly on the throne of the universe and no one can ever unseat You. You are God and there is no God beside You. You are the God who humbled Himself in the form of the, the Lord Jesus Christ to come here on earth and take a human form and live a sinless life and die a sacrificial death for us. You didn't have to do that, Father. You did that because You love us. And we thank You for that knowledge. We thank You, Lord, for faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith is a gift from You as well. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, if there's anyone here today uh, that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that You'd move in their heart. And don't let this message pass by them. Remind them and that You are still on Your throne and You are still a God who demands punishment for sin. And may they run to the Lord Jesus Christ and accept what He has done for them as payment for their sin. May they be saved. For those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, Lord, let us live day after day in the knowledge that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And let us share that knowledge with others, everyone we meet. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.